Okay, good morning. <laughs> All right, on this new forum, I'm going to be like a fire hose today. <laughs> um, um, but um, when I asked the Lord, you know, what he wanted me to speak on today, I heard um, the following passage of Scripture, and I'm going to read it in context starting at verse 25. Okay, where am I at there? Okay. I'm used to it being on this side, I think, or something. <laughs> okay. And uh, this is, um, again, Luke 21, 25 through 28. And it says, And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. And this is the part that I really heard um, highlighted to me. And men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So today I'm going to be speaking to you on the spirit of fear. I'm going to stop and pray just for a minute. welcome you, Holy Spirit. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. And right now, I thank you that every spirit contrary to the Holy Spirit is bound up and will be silent in the name of Jesus. Every spirit of fear that would try to torment anybody during this message will be silent in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Father. I thank you for your blood. I thank you for your blood, Jesus, that covers us. I thank you for what you have done for us and your provision over us. And I thank you that you have defeated the spirit of fear. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so when Megan contacted me this past week about, you know, the possibility of speaking, she gave me this date and she gave me a couple other dates. And, um, you know, at first I thought, okay, I need a little more time, Lord. <laughs> but I felt a real urgency on this message. Because, you know, we are experiencing the release of the spirit of fear at an alarming rate. You know, who, who would have thought? Okay, who would have thought? So, I want to start today with um, 2 Timothy 1.7. Okay, um, and this scripture, I know we've all heard it. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So I believe this verse is key. It's a very key verse in helping us to understand this spirit of fear. And I want to look at the words used in this scripture. So first I want to start by looking at the word fear. Okay? The word fear is the word in the Greek, dalia. And it's only used this one time in scripture. So theologians, they looked at Greek sources for its meaning and they came up with the words timidity, fearfulness, and cowardice. So when you see this scripture translated, you're going to see it with these three things. You're going to see God has not given us a spirit of fear. God has not given us a spirit of timidity. God has not given us a spirit of cowardice because God does not give this spirit. It comes straight from the enemy's camp, okay? It is the antithesis 
the opposite of what God gives. So by dissecting this scripture, we're going to be able to see what the Spirit does and how to deal with it. And this is something, you know, it's for you because, again, this, this Spirit has been released like a flood. <laughs> and, you know, at whatever level it may be affecting you, you know, this is for you, but also this is a tool like the things that came forth this morning for us to go out into the harvest field and to set the captives free. And, you know, I like what Lou Engle says when he was talking about one time about dealing with the spirit of Jezebel. He said, I can't deal with the spirit of Jezebel until I get the spirit of Jezebel out of me. Okay. So we have to deal with these things in ourselves so that we are set free and we go set the captives free. All right. Okay, so what you have to do is you have to fill the house, okay? Um, and this Matthew 12, 43 through 45 explains that principle. It says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest, and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. Okay, now this goes for all spiritual warfare, not just the spirit of fear. So you have to fill the house, and that's, like I say, when I go through this verse, that's part of what we're doing. We're getting tools to fill the house. Okay, so going back to that word, um, <laughs> we can also see that it comes from the root Greek word dalos, which means dread. And the other most frequently used word for fear in the New Testament is the one when that first verse that I gave you from Luke 21:26, when it says that men's hearts would fail from fear. That word is the word babas. Okay, I must have been on the last, the last slide. There we go, babas. Okay, and it is fear, dread, or terror. So when we think about that and we look back at that scripture of men's hearts failing them from fear and expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, um, you can see it's fear and it's expectation, all right? We can get that spirit of fear can get you into the place where you expect something bad to happen, okay? It hadn't even happened, but you expect it to happen. You know, the Lord wants us to move in faith and hope, and I see that fear and dread go together, just like faith and hope do. Um, okay. So, like I said, the Lord does not give us this spirit of fear and dread, so I want to look at that word spirit, and kind of, again, we can see by looking at that word, which is the Greek word pneuma, we can see how a spirit of fear works against us. All right, in Thayer's Greek lexicon, pneuma means the breath of life, okay? And this is how it's usually used in scripture, but it also means the spirit, the vital principle by which the body is animated, the rational spirit, the power by which a human being feels, thinks, wills, decides, the soul. So by taking the definition of this, we can see how the spirit of fear works in a person's life. Okay, because 
instead of your activity being motivated, you know, out of the spirit of God, this is how the spirit of fear is going to influence you. When a person is being influenced by a spirit of fear, fear will seek to be the controlling spirit in that person's life. It will seek to be the vital principle by which the body is animated. Just like we saw that the spirit is what animates us. And instead of your activity being motivated out of the spirit of God in faith and hope, your activities become motivated by that fear and dread. The reason I keep looking up here is because the, for some reason the PowerPoint's not quite like it was on my computer. Uh, so my clicks are not in the same place. But that's okay. We'll get through this. All right. Um, so that spirit of fear will seek to steal your animation. It will seek to paralyze you. And we've all heard that, being paralyzed with fear. Okay? And this is where we're prevented from acting as we should or even knowing how to act because of fear. And so this fits with the rest of the definition of that spirit. And um, that is... There we go. Okay. That spirit of fear, it will seek to make you irrational, control how you feel, think, will, and decide. It wants to rule your soul. Okay? That spirit part of you, it wants to rule over your soul. Now, this can sound defeatist, but we're going to move into the second half of that scripture, which is the but part, <laughs> okay? You know, that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And I love that, but, I mean, you know, in the Greek, it says that's a strong ad adversative conjunction, <laughs> okay? And that's the thing, God moves opposite to this thing in our lives okay so remember that you have a you know a big but god in your life okay when you're dealing with this so but what has god given us okay so um let's look at that that first thing that God has given us, and that is power, all right? And um, this word is pronounced in the Greek dunamis, and it's a very important word. It's used 120 times in the New Testament. It's defined by Strong's as, and they put miraculous because most of the time with dunamis, you will see it's miraculous. It's God's power. So it's miraculous power, might, and strength. It's translated in the scripture as power, strength, ability, mighty works, mighty deeds, works of power, miracles, miraculous power or powers, virtue, the list goes on, okay? So I want us to look at this spirit of power, dunamis, that God gives us. You know, there is nowhere, this is not going to be a complete list of scriptures. I'm just going to give you again, it said this is mentioned 120 times, but I'm going to give you a few scriptures and um, just real quick, go through them. And I would encourage you to go through and do a word search on this and fill your house with it, okay? 
of this is what God has given me, the power. Meditate on it. Fill your house uh, with it, okay? <clears throat> so, dunamis is the power ascribed to God, okay? For yours is the kingdom and the power. It's the power ascribed to Jesus in his return, the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power. It's healing power resting in Jesus to heal. Immediately knowing in himself that power, some scriptures say virtue had gone out of him. It's power associated with the apostles and with Stephen. And there it says, and with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Um, Stephen, full of faith and power. It's the power by which we are saved. It's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. It's the eternal power of God, his eternal power. It is power of the Holy Spirit supplying hope that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the demonstration of power by believers. It's where Paul says, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power. And also for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. It's his exceedingly great power for believers. It's the power that works in us. Okay? It's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. The power of his resurrection. Okay, and again, this is not a complete list, but this gives you an idea about this word dunamis and what has been given to us. But God gives us a spirit of dunamis, of power. This kind of power, the power that is relegated to him, okay? So that spirit of fear is going to work, work opposite to that, right? Okay, it's going to want to try to rob you of your power make you feel impotent. It wants to steal the power of God, the power of your salvation, the power of the miraculous, the power of greater works, and the power of the resurrection from your life. But God, okay? But God wants you to move in power as the ecclesia, and that is the Greek word for church, the church who brings the kingdom of heaven and its power to bear on the earth. That's who we are supposed to be. So let's look at what Jesus has to say about his church. Yep, I think it's on that. It's on this one. Okay. This is where Jesus is talking to Peter, and he says, I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So this is the kind of power that he has given to his church. Power against the gates of hell. Powers against these demonic spirits. Power against the spirit of fear. And I want to look at the literal version of that um, second part of that scripture in verse 19. And this is the Young's literal translation down here at the bottom. And it says, and... and I've always thought this is funny, but I think that somehow the theologians or whoever was translating this, they left this out of most of our versions. But this is, when you go back to the literal, this is the way it reads. It says, and I will give to thee the keys of the reign of the heavens. I love that, the reign of the heavens. 
and whatever thou mayest bind upon the earth shall be having been bound in the heavens, and whatever thou mayest loose upon the earth shall be having been loosed in the heavens. So what did Jesus say when he was on the cross about his work? It is finished, okay? He has finished all that concerns salvation and the kingdom of God. In fact, he descended into death and hell, got the keys of kingdom, then he ascended through the heavenlies. Okay, he ascended through those realms, and now he is seated with God, right? The right hand of the Father. So he has already bound these things, having already been bound. They've already been bound. He's already loosed the things you need in the heavens. All these things have already been done in the heavenly realm. He has passed through them. He has all authority, so now you can bind things. That's what this means, having been bound. Jesus has bound these things. He has loosed these things that you need, and so now you can move in this as the church, as his church, okay, as the ecclesia. I'm going to show you this is just a, some scriptures here. I'm not going to go all through it from Ephesians 4. You can also look at 1 Peter 3. And that's where it talks about what I just told you about. It says, therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Okay? But again, Jesus, he, he actually, according to the scripture, took captives out of hell. That is the reason why there's no reason for us to live like we are bound by hell or for anyone to go to hell because he has won the victory. He's Passed through the heavens, he's defeated the enemy, and this is the place from which we are to minister. We are to minister from that place of where we are seated with him in the heavenlies. Okay? So, and just like it says in John 8 36, you know, if the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. We have to move from that place. We have to recognize that because the enemy will lie to you. He will tell you you're not free. And, I mean, he, he will do that, and he will backdoor you through it. And he will make you think that he is more powerful than Jesus. But Jesus has defeated him. He's been cast out of heaven. You can read about that in Revelations 12. He's been cast out of heaven, okay? He's been cast down to the earth. But where are we seated? We're seated in the heavenlies with Jesus, okay? We're seated in that place of authority. Okay, so we have to come out of agreement and bind or forbid any spirit in our lives, including the spirit of fear that is contrary to the spirit of God and what Jesus has accomplished for us. You know, that scripture where it says, when you bind something, okay, that's like you're forbidding it. You know, I forbid this. This will not be in my life. I forbid this. Okay? I do not permit this. Instead, what we loose, I loose the Spirit of God. I loose the things of the kingdom in my life. I loose these things in other people's lives. Okay? Okay. Like I said, my slide's not quite matching up. So, okay. So, God gives us a spirit of power. This is another place where he talks about the power that he gives us. In Luke 10, 17 through 20, I'm going to read through this. 
And this is where Jesus has sent out the 70, okay, ahead of him. And then they come back. And it says, then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Okay, so this word here in verse 19 where he says, I give you authority, that's the word exousia, all right? And it has with it a sense of ability, that the Lord has given us ability and that he's given us privilege, okay? When I think of privilege, the right, okay? He's given you privilege, he's given you the right. And subjectively, he's given you the privilege and right of force, capacity, competency, and freedom. And objectively, he's given you mastery. Concretely, he's given you magistrate, superhuman, <laughs> potentate, token of control. He's given you delegated influence, authority, jurisdiction, liberty, power, right, strength. So these are the things that are included in that word, exousia. These are the things that he's given you, and these are the things, again, you can fill your house with, that you can meditate on this. Okay, this is who I am, because that's very key to warfare, is knowing who you are, your identity. What is your identity in Christ? Okay, and you know, as we see right now, this time, you know, the enemy has launched an all-out attack on the body in this arena. Um, you know, um, but wait a second, I want to back up. I feel like the Lord's telling me back up, back up into the scripture for a second. Um, I want to just give you a little key right here. You know, they went and they were doing, and I've shared this with some others, I think, uh, in the fellowship. But right here, when they went out, when the 70 went out, and they came back, and they had been doing ground warfare. But what did Jesus say he saw? He saw Satan fall from, like lightning from the heavens. Because when we are gates, the scripture talks about lift up your heads, oh, gates that the king of glory may come in. We are the way Jesus comes into this earth, okay? His Holy Spirit through us. We can also be gates for the enemy, okay? People can be gates for the enemy. And so here, when they went out and they did warfare, it unseated the enemy where he had been given power in the heavenlies over those places. So that's kind of where we go out and we do ground warfare and it unseats him, okay? And I also want to just mention this here about this verse 20. It says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. I have seen this sometimes with deliverance ministries where they'll get really into that they're a deliverance minister and the enemy will backdoor them through pride, Okay? And that becoming their voice, their, their um, what am I trying to say? Becoming their, um, <laughs> I'm like losing the word I'm trying to think of. Where, where they, that's their focus. Focus, that's the word I'm trying to think of. When it becomes their focus, and they get so focused on that, instead of rejoicing in, in the Lord, they're rejoicing in, hey, you know, I'm deliverance minister, I, you know, and I have 
seen it. I've seen it multiple times. They've gotten backdoored. So that's the reason that Jesus puts this in here, okay? Again, that's not to tell you not to deal with stuff, but I'm telling you, when you do, remember that it's the Lord and make your focus that. Don't go out, you know, looking to do this everywhere or something because, again, then you, you know, I've had some of these self-proclaimed deliverance ministers even try to do that to me, you know, trying to convince that I had something. I'm like, no, I'm set free. <laughs> I've been set free indeed. And actually, they begin to move in spirits of witchcraft, okay? All right. So as, as we know, the enemy, you know, again, he has, he has launched an all-out attack at this time. We can see it. The virus, riots, economic instability, whatever else he can throw at us right now. Um, but as always, just if he had known what he was doing, he wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. These things the Lord is using to shake us awake. He's using this to get us fortified and built up in who we are. So we get these cracks out of our foundation. So we deal with these things in our life, and then we become deliverers, okay? We become those who set the captives free. All right, so we're actually in that school of the Spirit right now and um, getting rid of these cracks in our foundation. And I, when I was preparing this, I thought of the, the old kid's song where it says, the wise man built his house upon the rock. <laughs> and, you know, um, that's the foundation. We've got to right now make sure that we're built upon the rock because what did it say? Otherwise, when the storms come, what happens? The house goes smash, you know, in the song, the house goes smash. So, um, and we've got to be that again because men's hearts right now and from scripture prophetically and what I'm hearing out there, I don't think it's going to get a lot better real soon, okay? I think we're in for a little rough ride ahead, okay? And men's hearts are going to be failing them because of fear. So we got to be those who have that hope and that faith to counteract that fear and that dread. And also, again, we've got to be shorn up. Because I'm going to tell you, when you turn on the news, that thing tries to come on you. You, you know, you open up your phone and immediately you've got the COVID report running. <laughs> and so it's trying to put that on us, trying to control us. All right, so let's go back to that Timothy scripture. Uh, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. I'm skipped love because I'm going to come to it at the end. Um, okay, sound mind. Uh, that word is um, sophronismos. Let's see if I can say it. Sophronismos. Um, and the definition from helps word study means a safe mind, prudent, sensible behavior that fits a situation for example, aptly acting out of God's will by doing what he calls sound reasoning. And that's the thing. The spirit of fear will try to take away your sound reasoning. Okay? This, this word sound mind has been interpreted in different um, translations as discipline, sound mind, wise discretion, self-discipline, self-control, and sound judgment. So you can see what the enemy's after. Again, by looking at what God gives us, we can kind of break this down and dissect it, see what the enemy's after in our life, all right? The spirit of fear does not want you to have sound reasoning. The spirit of fear does not want you to have wise discretion or sound judgment. The spirit of fear does not want you to have discipline and self-control. spirit of fear wants you to be out of control and not have a sound mind. 
and the spirit of fear can actually make you feel like you're going crazy, and a lot of mental illness is hooked into the spirit of fear, okay? Okay, but again, we get to transition into the second half of that scripture, right? God gives you a sound mind. He gives you the mind of Christ. You know, um, as it says here in 1 Corinthians, it says, For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. And we've been given that spirit of God. So now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The Spirit gives us the mind of Christ, okay? It gives us the ability to know and act like God does. Okay, so God gives you the power to rule over your mind from that place of the heavenlies where you are seated in Christ, far above all principality and power and might and dominion. This is who you are. This is who we all are. Okay, this is who we were predestined to be, and we are not meant to be controlled by the spirit of fear in our mind. And this is the battleground right up here. Okay, that's why we wear the helmet of salvation. All right, knowing who we are, know what the Lord has done for us, because this is where it's played out right here. Okay, <laughs> there's a really good book. It's an old book. Um, it's um, by let's see, I think it's Francis Fran Japan. It's called the Three Battlegrounds. Okay, I would encourage you to seek it out and read it, okay? Okay, oh, I didn't have a slide bit on that, but I said all that. Okay, so let's look at the word finally. Let's look at the word love, okay, here. And again, it's that word agape. And in antiquity, it meant to prefer. That's what actually that word means. So in reference to God, Agape or divine love equals what God prefers, and God prefers you, okay? And it was his pleasure to choose you before the foundation of the world and predestine you to be his child, his son, okay? And the reason I saved love for last instead of, you know, going in order is because love is the key to walking free from the spirit of fear, all right? Um, verse John says, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. When we come to know and believe the love that God has for us, it undoes the power of fear in our lives. Okay, this is one of the Apostle Paul's key prayers for believers uh, because of the power of love. I'll read that. I'm sure all of you have heard this prayer. Um, I used to have a book years ago that I loaned it out to somebody. Uh, it was Mike Bickle, even before he started IHOP, he had a little book of prayers, and he prayed the apostolic prayers over himself, and he had that in there, you know, in his notes, and he published it, just a little paper thing, and it was really good. So I encourage you to look at the apostolic prayers, uh, and also the prayer of Jesus in John 17, and pray those things over yourself, okay? So this is a prayer to pray over yourself, a way to fill your house, <laughs> um, says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. I want to hook that back into faith. You know, it says in Corinthians that 
uh, love never fails. So if your faith is rooted and grounded in love, it won't ever fail. Okay? You can defeat that spirit of fear. Okay? With the love of God. Because you're, you're rooted in that and you're going to have faith. Because you're going to believe the love that God has for you. You're going to know that you 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 know. God loves me. Okay? He's for me. All right? Okay. And he's saying here that you may be rooted and grounded in love and may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. It's like that old song, Rocking My Soul in the Bosom of Abraham. So high, I can't get over it. So low, I can't go around it. So wide, I can't get around it. Oh, rocking my soul. That's the place that our soul needs to live is in the vastness of God's love. Okay? To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Okay? Anything that's thrown at you, any knowledge of the world, <laughs> anything, any statistics they may be giving you, anything they may be telling you, the love of Christ surpasses it. It's going to cause you to move in faith that surpasses it. Okay? And we know there's no fear of God. It says here that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So when we're filled to his fullness, it's going to be the absence of fear. Okay? And 1 John 4, 16, it says, God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. And love has been perfected among us in that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. And I, I wanted to... Um, share a couple of scriptures here because, um, you know, sometimes when I talk about people about being at the end of the age or at the end of this age, you know, there, it, it brings up a lot of fear for people, you know, especially when they think of, they read Revelation and they look at the judgments, but we are not judged with the world. I'm going to just give you a couple examples here. In Ezekiel, um, this is one where it says that, um, I guess these were some sort of angelic watchers and they were being sent through the city through the midst of Jerusalem, it says here, and they were to put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all the ab abominations that are done within it. And then they went through the city and they killed all, but he says, you know, to slay everyone. But then it says, but do not come near anyone on whom is the mark. You know, we always hear about the mark of the beast, but God has a mark. He has a seal and he marks those that are his. Okay. And also in Revelations, we, we know about the mark of the beast. But there is also a mark of the seal of God that's talked about there. Again, where the people of God are marked, okay? We are marked, and we never perish with the wicked. We are never washed away in the judgments of God again. Our sin has all been judged on the cross. We will stand before the judgment seat of Christ where we, you know, there's rewards and stuff for what we have done. But our sin has been judged on the cross, Okay? already been taken care of all right so we are in this world as he has as he is it says that and that what do we know we all know this scripture greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world but I think it's interesting the context of that scripture the context of that scripture look at this it says by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come into the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is now already in the world. 
You are of a God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You are greater than the spirit of the Antichrist. Okay? That's the context of this, that you are greater than that. Okay? So we have to see ourselves as that, of, of you know, of having that much of Christ in us. Um, okay? First John 4, 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love, and we love him because he first loved us. Um, I, I had some revelation on this scripture just kind of zinging me one time. I had um, a man who found out that I was studying theology and stuff, so he, that opened the door <laughs> for him to talk to me about all his struggles in life, and he began to tell me that he had grown up in a religious home, and, um, and how much his mother told him that he was bad, and he was going to go to hell, <laughs> and immediately the Lord dropped this scripture into my heart, and says, she didn't understand the love of God, she had fear, she had punishment associated with the love of God. But the love of God casts that out, okay? That's not the love of God. You know, I was able to share that with him, and it was like a light bulb went off, you know? That where he had always viewed God through punishment and torment, and not knowing that, that fear has no place, torment like that has no place in God. You know, it's no coincidence that John is the writer of these verses, I think he was uniquely qualified to write on this because he truly had come to know and believe the love that Jesus had for him. In fact, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved four different times in, in, in the gospel. <laughs> um, he says here in uh, John 19, 26, um, it says, and the disciple whom he loved <laughs> standing by. In John 20, um, verse 2, it says, um, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> and John 21, 7 and 20, it says, Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter. And then, and then in verse 20, it says, And Peter turning around saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, okay, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper, okay. John wasn't being smug or prideful for writing this. The Holy Spirit inspired John to write this. It's written for our instruction. It's written because we need to come and know and believe that we are the disciple that Jesus loves, okay? And I believe that John is a type of the end of the age church because of the prophetic statement that Jesus made to him. And, um, I'm not going to go through all this, but I'm just going to explain it. That, um, you know, Jesus was talking to Peter and had basically told him that basically had martyred him ahead of him. And then Jesus says, you know, well, what about him? And then Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain, this is in verse 22, until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Therefore, this saying went out among the brethren that that disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. 
but only if I want him to remain until I come. What is that to you? John did remain. You know, they tried to boil him in oil. That's what the church fathers tell us. <laughs> but you know what I think kept him alive? This prophetic statement, this word of God to him, you know? Some of you have prophetic words, but you also have a whole book of words to keep you alive, to keep you going, to keep you standing. I mean, can you imagine? He's dunked in oil, <laughs> boiling oil, and he survived because the power of his faith and the love of God and the love of Jesus and what Jesus had spoken to him, and he did survive to see the revelation of Jesus. See, that's the reason I believe that John stayed alive and wrote it, okay? He remained to see that. And I believe he's a type of the generation that is the end of the age. I believe there are a group of people who are lovers of the Lord, who know that they're the disciples that Jesus loved, that have their head on his breast, that know that love so much that they're going to move in faith and they're going to do the greater works. They could be put in boiling oil <laughs> and they would survive because of the love of God and because that they are, you know, grounded in believing his word and I think, again, because of his love for them. Um, okay. I think that I'm trying to look and see. Again, my slides got kind of... All right. I want to share a little bit of my testimony with you. Um, when I was young, uh, in my um, early 20s, um, I had what would have been, would been medically diagnosed as obsessive-compulsive disorder, okay? And if you know about that, but that is um, a fear-based disorder, anxiety, and that you have obsessive thoughts. There's a warfare happen. You have obsessive thoughts, and um, then you act on it. Like I said, that spirit will try to get your animation, your action to hook up with it instead of acting according to God. So I had different rituals I did, different little things that I did to kind of relieve that anxiety. And if I didn't do them, I couldn't go to bed at night. Okay? Or I would lay down in bed and think, did I do that? Then have to get up. You know, it's that thing, y'all have heard it, person who checks the latch of, you know, multiple times, who flips the light switch on, off and on multiple times, those kind of things, okay? Um, so I did not know at that time that this was the spirit of fear. Um, I, medically, I was trained as an RN, so I knew, even though I hadn't gone and been diagnosed, I knew what it was. I wasn't telling anybody about it. <laughs> it was all locked up in here inside. I went to a women's meeting and a woman was there, and she began to speak on the spirit of fear. I began to feel like I was going to, well, first I was angry. I was so angry, I couldn't see straight. And then she stopped. She said, there's opposition here to me speaking. She took authority. She said, I'm taking authority over that spirit. She took authority over it. And then I began to feel kind of crazy, you know, but I listened to her. But at the end, I knew, I was like, this is the spirit of fear, and I have to get free. I don't care what anybody thinks. I got to be free. Now, I've been in bondage too long. So she said, is anyone here that feels this? And I raised my hand and I said, you know, I'm the person who was angry. I said, you know, I got angry. And then when you prayed, I felt sick. And I said, and I confessed to them 
what I had been, the way I lived, and those things. And you see, the enemy is relegated to realms of darkness. You know, like the Bible says, that all things become visible when they're brought into the light. We have to bring things into the light. We have to bring the enemy into light. We have to shine the light into the darkness. And what does it say? And then the darkness cannot overcome it, right? So that's what I had to do. I had to bring this thing in light. And there's no shame and there's no condemnation. So the Lord kept telling me there's no shame because shame will kill you. Shame will kill you. Okay? It will. It will keep you from getting free. You know, I had a relative that was bound up in alcoholism. And they, didn't, you know, they denied constantly that they had this problem. And I just told them, the shame over this is killing you. You will confess this. You can get free. So, um, like I said, I confessed that. I got prayer. I, I began to get some tools under my belt. I, I, I you know, the thing is, is that sometimes these things, it's learning to walk free. Like I said, it's filling the house. Because this is the first time I didn't know anything about spiritual warfare. I had, my background had been Baptist. I'd just come into the things of the Spirit in the vineyard. And I didn't know. I didn't have any understanding. So um, I, um, I said, you know, but I'm going to pursue this thing. And I remember telling that spirit one day, I said, if I have to get on the stage of the church and tell them what I'm dealing with, <laughs> I will tell it. Because I am going to be free of this thing. And you know what? That thing turned tail and ran. Because, again, the enemy does not like to be exposed, okay? And um, I was walking in, in pretty good freedom, but then I started to have panic attacks. And um, I was, I worked down at West Pace's Ferry Hospital down in, you know, down Atlanta at the time. And I was driving home one day. Afterwards, I was on 75 in the middle of rush hour. I don't know if you've ever been on 75. It's like an ocean of cars at that time. I'm in the middle of that. I drive a five-speed at that time, and I begin to have a panic attack. I was like, I'm going to die. And, 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 and the thing, like I say, this, this spirit is so irrational. There's no rationality to it. <laughs> Why would I die? You know what I'm saying? But all of a sudden, I'm going to die. I'm going to die right here in this car. I'm going to die on the freeway. And I just began to try to gear down and work myself over, you know. And I geared down my car and got up on the shoulder. And I'm sitting there hyperventilating. And I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And then the voice of the Lord spoke to me. And uh, he said, you know me, Janice. You know, when he speaks to you, it's the voice of many waters. It carries with it so much. do know you, Lord. And in that statement, it was like, would I, would I let you die on the side of this highway? Would I do that to you? Is that who I am? And the love of God flooded over me. And it broke the power of that thing. I didn't have any more panic attacks after that. The love of God sets us free. It casts out fear. So I want to I want to give you a few tools right here. Um, things that I've learned. Again, this is what we're doing when we're fighting against this thing. We are taking thoughts captive. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. That's that word, dunamis, to demolish strongholds. 
We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This power, this love, this thing about the sound mind, filling your house with that, those are weapons of your warfare. Also, these are some of the things that I learned about how to take thoughts captive. First, don't dialogue with the enemy. John Wimber said on a tape, on one of his warfare tapes, when, like I say, when I was walking this out, he said, that's where Eve made her first mistake. So remember Eve. When the enemy comes to you, tries to get you, because him ringing the phone, what I learned was him ringing the phone was not, I wasn't, that wasn't the problem. It's if I answered the phone and began to talk to him about the fear. I began to dialogue in my head with it. But I had to learn that him just ringing that phone, because sometimes he'd try to condemn me over the ringing phone. Just a ringing phone. It'll eventually stop ringing. So we don't want to answer the phone. Okay? So don't dialogue with the enemy. Okay? Second thing, speak to God in your soul. Remember David is what I put here. Okay? Psalm 103.1. You will see this all through the Psalms. David, he addresses his soul and he addresses God. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. You know, and then he talks to the Lord. So you need to speak to your soul and to your God. Don't dialogue with the enemy. And this is one of the things that I would say. I, sometimes I would say this over and over. I would say, I'm the Lord's sheep. I only listen to the voice of God. Another I will not follow. And then I would repeat it to the Lord. Lord, I am your sheep. I only listen to your voice. Another I will not follow. And I would say that and I would meditate on that. I only listen to you. I only talk to you. I don't talk to anyone else. Okay, because after I told that scene to depart, you know, get behind me, spirit of fear, then I just begin to do this. Didn't talk, didn't talk to anything but God and my soul. Soul, speak, you know, you know God. He loves you. Speak all these things that fill the house to yourself, okay? All right, and I get this from that John 10 scripture there. It's where Jesus is talking about his sheep. I'm not going to read it, but he, that his sheep know him. Another they won't, they won't follow but they will flee from him, okay? Because they don't know the voice of that stranger. Okay, and we'll follow the Lord. Next thing, resist. Resist the enemy. Somebody said that this morning somewhere. Um, Jessica, I think, when she was praying. And this is from um, James. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you, okay? That's where you're in that place of warfare. You are just standing. We stand in what the Lord's done. We stand and, and again, we are saying, I only listen to God. Bless you. I thank you, Lord. I praise you. I only listen to you. I'm going to tell you, sometimes I had to do that for 20 minutes at a time. But that thing would leave. And then the thing that happened was that phone would ring less and less and less. Okay? Because resist him and he will flee from you. She's not taking the bait anymore. She's not answering the phone anymore. Okay? But I'm going to tell you, if you do answer the phone, there's still no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus because there's no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. There's still no condemnation. And you just, you begin talking to the Lord. You slam that phone down and you just start talking to the Lord again. Okay? He doesn't condemn you in any way. There's no condemnation, no shame. Again, no shame with any of this. All right? With anything that you're dealing with, again, no shame, no condemnation. And the next thing, we need to know who we are. You need to know who you are. I put down resource here is Neil Anderson, Freedom in Christ Ministries. Um, he, 
I think it's kind of interesting. You know, he's Baptist. He doesn't profess any sort of spirit-filledness or not, but he does deliverance completely by the Word of God, by getting people to make confession of this list. He has a list here that he goes through, and you can't see it here. It's too small, but he has a list of all of who we are. You can go to his website, Freedom in Christ Ministries, and get that list. Begin to declare those things over yourself and fill the house, okay, and fill the house. And that's what we need to do. We need to get our house filled. So, Wade, you want to come up? You know, another thing I didn't have on here, but, you know, Brittany, she got up. I thought it was pretty cool. She got up and, and you know, gave a word in tongues. It's also a prayer language. You know, a prayer language says it, it builds our spiritual muscle when we pray in the spirit. You know, with that, you don't have to have an interpretation. But what I've learned is a lot of times that I've realized now the thoughts I'm having are the interpretation. You know, I think because my history was, you know, sometimes it was the thus saith the Lord, you know. <laughs> But just the impressions I'm having, you know, I've learned that those are the things I'm praying in the Spirit. That's another way to do warfare, is that praying in the Spirit. Um, so I'd like to pray over us right now. I felt like the Lord kind of wanted me to pray corporately for us and for you guys to agree and to pray with me. And then we're going to, of course, worship. And if you need further prayer, I encourage you to get together with somebody, you know, or come of us and and get and get prayer over this all right come on father i thank you for freedom i thank you for freedom i thank you that whom you have set free free indeed and right now, I take authority and break every law for every person in here. Anything that would say to them that you'll never be free, you can't be free. But that's a lie. I thank you, Father, for your truth that says, whom you set free is free indeed. That all of us have been made free indeed. And right now, if you just pray along with me want to pray, like I said, kind of a corporate prayer of repentance and deliverance over us. So, Father, I repent of every place that I have entertained a spirit of fear, of every place that I have not trusted in your love. But I thank you, Lord, that you love me. Thank you that you prefer me. I thank you that you've loved me before the foundation of the world. So right now, I renounce the spirit of fear in my life. I tell every spirit of fear to leave me in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that now that you come and you fill my house, fill my house with your love, with your power, 
and with the mind of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for delivering me. And thank you, Lord, for setting me free. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.